Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and today we have Chief Content Officer from Story Fuel, Melanie Diesel. Hello to you, Melanie. Hi there, Scott. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. I'm having a good day. This is uh, the end of my day, and I'm recording a podcast at the end of it to close it out, so that's always a nice way to close my day. Um, yeah, it's a good you? end, your, end your, of your day. Your day going nice. well? Yeah, well, and we're we're time zone shifted, so it's pretty early in my day. So I'm starting it off with a podcast, which I think is a good way to go too. <laughs> and uh, talking about starting off, this is uh, I always like a brief introduction to our guests, and I, I appreciate sometimes that's difficult. But we're going to be uh, speaking on the topic of storytelling, and in particular, how businesses can surface stories um, of themselves and put that into their marketing messaging. So on that topic, can you share your story? How did you make it here today? It was a long and winding path, but I'll give you the shortest possible version of it. Um, you know, I studied journalism and so I've always loved storytelling, but I've, I've, I started out really thinking that I was telling stories on behalf of my audience, you know, that I would go out and, and tell the stories that my audience wishes they could be there to see. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what journalism is really about. And I found very quickly that those same skills were very useful on the marketing and sales side of many of the businesses that I, I had contact with. And so I made a shift to, I, you know, first starting at Huffington Post, then I was the first editor of the New York Times uh, brand content team. And then working at Time Incorporated as the director of creative strategy, where my role was to sort of act as the editorial conscience and help brands tell, you know, more journalistic stories to our audience. And so it's, it's been a really fun journey for me. I started Story Fuel so that I could work with even more brands and even more companies uh, to help them tell those kinds of stories and really have been focused on taking what I learned as a journalist and teaching it in as many ways possible to marketers and creators who need to find better ways to tell their story. That's. Uh, I was going to ask the question then, and maybe you covered it at the end, but do you have a mission statement for your your life and your goals at Story Fuel at this point? You know, our tagline is tell better stories. And really what we're focused on is helping marketers and creators tell better stories. So I suppose that's probably as close as it gets to, you know, sort of a public facing mission statement. Um, and I think I don't know about a personal mission statement. That's a really good, uh, that's probably something I, I could work on. But I think all that I do is really guided by education. 
Um, I feel really lucky and privileged to have had uh, the education and the experiences that I did. And so I want to do my best to pass that information along to others who can benefit in their business and their personal brand, you know, through entrepreneurship. I just want to be able to share the information I have that can help them, you know, in those endeavors. And so I'm really driven by, by sharing, by giving away information, by trying to educate and help as many people as I can. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really interesting perspective in terms of your story and your background, because, you know, I meet a lot of content marketers, I I meet a lot of content creators, and um, I've crossed paths with journalists in the background as well. But it's very rare that you meet someone that's been on the journey through journalism. And that kind of and uh, I guess the more academic and editorial (laughs) aspects of writing. Um, and then moved into helping content creators apply journalistic skills. So uh, that education part is, I guess, a gap in in the marketing space. I, I know that part for sure. And perhaps it yeah. even goes the other way to journalists uh, learning more about how to apply marketing principles to journalism. I'm not sure. Um, Absolutely. I, th- I think there's definitely ways that you could share across. You know, I always say that journalists are really good at finding stories and telling stories. And that's often something that marketers struggle with. But on the other side, marketers are really good at making sure content gets seen by the right audience. And sometimes journalists struggle with getting an audience for their content. And so there's definitely a lot of skills that we can sort of cross pollinate and learn from what's been successful for the other, uh, obviously maintaining all the necessary boundaries that keep everything uh, ethical, but you know, definitely can learn from one another's best practices for how to optimize what it is that we each do separately. Hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense in terms of cross-pollination. And I guess that's partly one of the reasons we we produce this podcast is to enable people to uh, share ideas and apply them to different industries. On the on the topic of storytelling, so our listeners, are, there are a wide range of businesses that listen to our podcast. And one common obstacle are businesses that have been businesses that have been in business for a very long time and are kind of at the point in which they either haven't updated their storytelling abilities and haven't revised their story or perhaps have built their business in a period where storytelling wasn't as necessary as it might be today uh i I believe and i assume you do too just from i've read uh, your book or parts of it i've not quite finished your book yet but i've been reading your book and um you know it seems that storytelling you think is a kind of prominent and important, the most important aspect of uh, marketing messaging today. So for companies out there that haven't quite nailed their messaging yet, are, are there some, is there some guidance that you can give them about to how to surface their story, how to revise their messaging? So one of the things that I think is a, is a good distinction to make is, you know, oftentimes we need sort of a holistic brand story of who we are. Uh, that is a little bit more difficult for me to help unearth. I think that requires, you know, a little bit more hands-on helping folks to, to really discover who they are as a brand. Um, where I can be really helpful is in helping them figure out now that we know who we are, how do we communicate that to our audience through our content? And so my guess is that even those brands who feel that they're not doing content or they don't feel like they have any sort of storytelling, uh, my guess is that you do. And maybe you just don't think of it in that way. So, you know, you probably have 
confirmation emails that you send. And you may have, you know, put some personality in there that reflects you as a brand. You may have packaging or tags or menus, right? It may not be what you think of when you think of content, like a YouTube series or a blog post, but you are certainly speaking to your audience. You are certainly telling them who you are and and communicating that to them through some form of content. And so a lot of times what it is, is, is really just thinking, once I have a clear idea of who I am, what are the channels in which I can communicate to my audience? So that might be like we've listed email, it might be blogs, it might be video, social media, and then thinking, okay, now if I'm going to be there, what's the best way for me to bring my story to life in that context? And that's a lot of the work that we do is helping people say, okay, if I want to be, if I know that I am a brand who is helpful, who is um, you know, intelligent, who is friendly and, and likes to joke with my audience. Okay. Well, how, how does that come to life when I'm creating an Instagram post? How does that come to life when I'm creating a blog post on our website? How does that come to life when we send a confirmation email? It's really just asking, you know, how do we bring that to life in these different places and then exploring some of the fun possibilities for how we can make sure we're communicating who we are and, and making sure we're showing those values to our audience and do you think the person responsible for those kind of self-analysis and self the 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 self-analysis the self-questioning the bringing that story to life do you think that's always the person in the most senior position for example a ceo or a business owner or do you think that responsibility should be shared across a team today in, in today's environment I think in, in today's environment, that's the kind of thing that really is, is generally owned by someone, but is really sh- the responsibility is shared across the organization. So, you know, obviously we're here today talking about content, but if you understand your brand voice and your, your you know, your values as an organization, you don't just want to make sure that your blog or your social posts are bringing that to life. You also want to make sure that any customer experiences that they're having are bringing that to life. So your sales team needs to be a part of that. Your customer service team needs to be a part of that. Any sort of, you know, front end staff who's interfacing with your clients, you know, in a storefront or in a warehouse somewhere, they need to to be bringing that to life too. So you don't want your content to be happening in a silo. You don't want to be bringing your brand values to life in one place and then not in another. I think when we create those kind of mismatched experiences for our audiences is really when we, we find that we've disappointed them. Hmm. It's reminding me as you're talking about a key um, aspect of your book and it's I think it's fairly early on but um, yeah a bit of a spoiler alert for anyone that's not read your book yet they will highly recommend it and uh, we'll link to it in the show <laughs> notes there's a um, it's you you speak on the topic of uh, focus first followed by format um, and then earlier in earlier in the book the one of the focus areas is people and um, one of the reasons I asked the question is because it's really good to get into the habit of thinking that when you're working on people aspect, uh, people focused content, that doesn't necessarily always mean the people that work within your company. And you just touched on it there. That can mean your customers, your part, uh, you know, your partners, your advocates. Um, and so I guess, I guess there are lots of companies out there. If they're struggling with their storytelling, storytelling or struggling with their marketing messaging, they might want to look outside of their own business and, kind of a peripheral vision around their partners and their network to help them surface that story. Is that something that you've seen work? 
Oh, absolutely. I think sometimes one of the mistakes we can make when we're creating content, when we're communicating with our audience is to think that they only care about us, about our brand, our people, our products. You know, we are part of a a larger, a spider web of interactions that extend beyond the walls of our business or the, the edges of our website, right? So looking to see who are those ancillary people, you know, whether that's customers, clients, vendors, suppliers, it could be if you're a local business, it could be people in your community, you know, the, the mayor, the person who tends to, tends to the, the lake in your, in your town center, you know, there's, there's so many different people who may be exhibiting your brand values, who are part of your brand story, even though they may not be a full-time employee, you know, in the storefront with a name tag, that, that doesn't have to be where our stories end is, you know, the, the edges of our business. I think sometimes those outside stories or those stories of related partners can be some of the more compelling stories because it feels a bit more honest and it feels a bit easier for folks to connect with because we're telling the story of someone else that's important to us. And that signals to our audience what's important to us. Mm. And we, we've spoken a little bit about businesses that are already in operation and maybe are well-established, but there is also the difficulty for new businesses, startups that have to find a way to tell their story for the first time. And from what I see, my perspective, just being in marketing, I see a lot of startups default by telling their personal story as a way to launch their product or launch their service. And sometimes that's quite compelling. But are there ever are there any other techniques or pieces of advice you would give startup companies in terms of exploring their story and marketing it for the first time? Absolutely. I think, you know, there is that inclination to tell your sort of founder story or your company origin story. And I think those kinds of content pieces are important, right? At some point, someone will want to know who are the people behind this and, and how did this idea come to be? How did this company come to be? But I think when you focus too much on, on that, you know, you make that the focus of your story. And at the end of the day, your customers or, or your investors, they may be partially buying into you as an individual, but it's truly the service or product that they need more information about. And so you want to be able to prove that expertise and that value that you can bring in the, in the that your product or service provides. And sometimes the best way to do that is through process-focused content. And when I say process-focused content, I mean content that focuses on helping your audience achieve something, complete some process. So this includes things like recipes or, you know, DIY instructions for how to, how to create something. Perhaps it's, it's a step-by-step instructions to repair something or, or make a certain decision. What you're really doing is you're showing your audience instead of telling them that you have expertise in an area. So instead of saying, we know everything there is to know about this topic, say, we know that you're going to struggle with this particular thing and we have expertise here. So we've provided this guide to help you get through it. Now you're demonstrating for your audience, you know, not just declaring that you're an expert. So when the time comes to make a purchase or, or a follow-up action after they've done something on their own, they're going to trust inherently that, that you have the expertise and your organization can provide the solution to that problem. And um, I, well, firstly, actually, when businesses that come to you, do you find that there's a trend in whether it's startups or well-established businesses, or is it a mix of both um, when they approach you for your expertise and helping them? I think it tends to be a mix of both. I mean, I've worked with with startups, of course. I think that is an incredibly important time to establish who you are and and 
you know, speak to your audience about what's important to you and, and provide value. You know, we're talking strictly on a marketing sense. Content can provide great inbound opportunities uh, from a traffic standpoint. And often you need all those advantages you can get in those early days when you're trying to attract and grow your audience. So it's definitely something that's useful for startups. But I think established businesses oftentimes need a little bit more help. And I think the reason for that is, as with all of us, right, when you've been doing something for quite a while, sometimes you get stuck in a rut. And you've been doing things the same way for some time. And the idea of mixing it up or trying something new or taking a a left turn and and going in a new direction is a lot scarier. You know, sometimes startups have a bit more agility, ability to try new things and experiment and fail fast and all those other tropes, right? Um, But some of these established businesses, they, they need a little bit more coaching and help to figure out what's the most strategic risk for us to take? How can we move in a new direction without losing the momentum and the legacy of, of what we've built while still, you know, trying to modernize and embrace, you know, a new direction, a new, uh, a new approach or a new audience. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And and does your approach and maybe can you speak on your process? So, uh, you know, uh, in an example where a a business comes to you, they're looking to help with their storytelling, and then what happens from there? Do you go through kind of a one to one interview process? Do you interview other people in their company? What's your approach to surfacing stories within businesses? Yeah, of course. So the, the first thing we usually do is, is what I call like a brand voice audit. And what that means is we're going to take a look at a lot of the existing content that exists in, in all of its forms. So, you know, in some cases with some brands, we've reviewed, you know, eight plus years of back content to get a sense of what that voice is like. Um, then we do a series of, of other discovery uh, interviews. So we'll say, okay, here's what we're finding. Is this consistent? Is this the current brand or is this where you want the brand to be? This is how your brand voice is coming across. And is this the ideal state or is this the current state? And, you know, the combination of doing that deep dive and that audit 
And then having those discovery calls allows us to find the sweet spot between what the brand voice is currently expressing and what we want it to be expressing. So that allows us to make, you know, sort of a a final report and analysis that says based on what we've heard and what we found in these discovery calls and this analysis, here's where the brand voice needs to go. Here's the slight changes and adaptations we think could be made, you know, easily to help get to that ideal state of brand voice. Because once we have that document, once we have clear documentation that says, you know, we are this type of brand and this is how we communicate with our audience. These are the boundaries that we've set in place for how we speak to our audience. That allows us to be much more productive moving forward and to ensure that, you know, once our work with that brand has ended, they still have some documentation that they can use for onboarding new freelancers or bringing new folks in house, you know, for creating new content projects that we didn't have a chance to look at. You know, when we create that documentation, it creates sort of an evergreen uh, resource that can be drawn on time and time again. Once we, once we complete that whole process and we have the brand voice audit completed, that's usually where we start to get into more of the, the training and education of, you know, we can certainly come into a brand and come up with a bunch of content ideas for you. We've definitely done that before. Um, but, you know, the old adage about teaching someone to fish and they, they eat for a lifetime versus giving, you know, giving them a fish and they eat for a day. We're really focused on teaching folks to fish. You know, we're happy to give you some ideas to start you off, but I would much rather have our team coach you and your team through creating a system, creating a framework, creating a process by which you can find those ideas. And so that's where we spend a lot of our time is, is, you know, doing a little bit of ourselves, but really teaching folks how they can do it themselves. I would much rather hear from someone we've worked with, Hey, we don't need to work with you anymore because we figured this out and we're great at finding our own stories in a weird way. We are trying to work ourselves out of jobs in every possible instance. (laughs) Yeah. It's something, um, you'll be able to tell me whether you think this is true or not, but I was thinking about the giving companies the ability to tell their own stories. That's such an empowering feeling. And I was thinking about the marketing benefit as you were talking. So if you, if you have a consistent message across all your marketing channels, um, that's really a dream position to get to. But my question in a roundabout way is once you've helped a business to define their story more clearly, Are there other benefits beyond marketing that you see within companies? And if so, what are they? Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the the side effects, I guess you could call it, is we tend to see a lot of creative confidence come out of the work that we do with brands. And so oftentimes there are certain members of your team and, and who they are can vary widely. It may be folks who are sort of immigrants to marketing, so to speak. This isn't their background, but they've found themselves in these positions. Um, they could also be subject matter experts, you know, engineers, designers, et cetera, who are being asked to communicate their passion. And it's not sort of their first way of usually doing that, you know, having to speak to a more general audience. What we find is that as they have a greater understanding of sort of the language to use around content and and the way that they can talk about their content ideas, it allows them to to find more overlap with the the other folks in the team or in the ancillary related teams. What we see is folks who are in sales are more confident to talk to the design team and say, Hey, I have this idea. Do you think it would work? Whereas before they may have felt like, I'm not a creative type. That's not my place. 
Um, mm. Vice versa, we have folks who are in the content team or, or you know, bloggers, producers, etc., coming to the sales team and saying, "Hey, I had this idea for a piece that would work really well for overcoming some common objections that we see in the sales process, or you know, would, would work well as sales collateral. Could we collaborate on that?" So when everyone has this this shared language that they can speak together and this understanding of what role content plays in the business, we just find that there's much more confidence in their own ideas and in, in their ability and willingness to collaborate with some of those other teams and, and other roles that they may not normally have had a lot of opportunity to work with. They're all sort of speaking the same language. And so they're, they're able to collaborate more effectively and feel more comfortable, you know, starting those conversations. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's what was coming to mind for me, that aspect of internal confidence and communication. Are there any, once you stop working with the business, so for storytelling, do you think that's a continuous process for businesses where they have to refine frequently their story and that should be a collaborative and consistent process? Um, and if so, what are some of the communication channels that you'd recommend businesses take to ensure that that happens and their story is updated regularly and is a reflection of them? Yeah. So I think, you know, as a general rule, the who we are as a brand rarely makes a complete shift. We may evolve a little bit, kind of like us as individuals, you know, we're, we're not the exact same person we were 10 years ago, but there's some core traits that have remained the same. So your brand story and the way you bring that message to life is probably very similar. It's unlikely unless you're going through a rebrand or, you know, changing industries or perhaps we're acquired or something. Um, it's unlikely that you need regular reexamination of really your core brand. Um, but you do want to have check-ins to make sure that the individual ways that you're being asked to bring that brand to life, you know, that you're adapting accordingly. So here's just a couple examples. You know, if you're, uh, you know, you saw that TikTok came out and you needed to evaluate, well, how does our brand voice come to life on TikTok? Does it even belong on TikTok? That may be a time to kind of come back and revisit your core so that you can be reminded of, of what's important. You may also find that in, in times of uncertainty or, you know, political unrest or, you know, any other sort of unexpected uh, social conversation, things like, you know, the pandemic or the Black Lives Matter protests that are happening here in the U.S., that's a time for you to return to your core brand and ask what, you know, what message does our brand have during this time? What's the unique way that we can address our audience with regards to this topic? You know, what's our story to tell here? So have, again, having that clear documentation you can return to is really helpful when these unexpected changes of pace, you know, come upon you and you have to figure out how your brand voice replies in those instances. Uh, one thing that we do recommend is usually a combination of uh, proactive and reactive content. And so by that, I mean, you want to have some sort of regular cadence uh, of meeting with your team and planning out the content you know is coming forth. So for some businesses, uh, annually is enough. You can pick out, you know, your big events of the year, your big campaigns and plan ahead and then have more reactive content in between. But for most businesses, we find that quarterly meetings work really well. And so you want to have a quarterly meeting probably with your leadership just to say, okay, here's what's coming in the next three to four months. Uh, what major events do we have? What holidays do we have? What sales or business initiatives do we have? How does that align with our campaigns? And then figuring out what content needs to be created to support that. 
Um, so, you know, that, that allows you to still have momentary reaction day to day. You know, you can react to a, a funny meme on Twitter without needing to have an entire corporate meeting because you have that core documentation that shows your brand voice. Um, but you can plan ahead for the bigger items, the things that you know are coming, the seasons, the sales, the campaigns, the launches, uh, because you've had that quarterly planning meeting. So it's, it's a combination, I think, of, you know, planning ahead and, and having a good enough grasp of your brand voice to be able to respond in the moment when you do need to. Mm. It sounds like, um, and again, do correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like you would generally agree with the idea that businesses should have someone that's responsible for brand ownership and storytelling, maybe a singular person. So, and, and the reason for that is if there are big shifts, whether it's social economical and you have to respond to those shifts someone has to take accountability in a business to kind of think about how the brand will respond the brands yeah the brand's response to that on any given medium um is that fair so you're kind of an advocate for having ownership of a a brand voice yeah i think you know in an ideal world would every brand have sort of a chief brand officer you know or some designated you know chief storyteller inside of their marketing team absolutely um but i also know the reality is that's a hard thing for many small businesses especially to justify right if you're a, a restaurant or you know some some other type of local service business the chances of you hiring someone full time to manage your brand i mean that that's not realistic and so i think what's most important is that someone is given ownership over that decision or or some that there's a process where one or two people may have ownership over that decision even if it's not their designated job so someone has to be given permission uh, to interpret the brand voice in those instances. And it should be whoever's most equipped. So what we see more often than a designated, uh, you know, full-time staffer whose job is to manage the brand is someone inside the marketing or comms uh, teams who is sort of the, the brand voice deputy to say, what do we think? How should we respond here? And that may not be the most senior person. You know, it may not be the, the, executive vice president of marketing or the CMO who is making those decisions. It should be the person who has the best grasp of the brand voice. Now they may not make the final decision, but they should be the person who is saying, this is how I believe given my understanding of who we are as an organization and who our brand, what our brand voice is. This is how I believe our brand would respond in this scenario. And maybe someone more senior has to make the sign off and say, yes, I, I agree with that. That aligns with our broader business goals, you know, outside of the brand voice that's in keeping with our, our policies. Um, but, you know, there needs to be someone who is given permission to internally speak on behalf of the brand voice and advocate for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. And again, I was thinking something similar to you in that there are lots of businesses out there that maybe don't have a brand manager, though they'd love to. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to or you can't give someone in your business ownership for when the time is right when a brand does need to respond and that doesn't necessarily have to be the most senior person in the company it's really right. interesting advice and may maybe one of the pieces of advice that prevents businesses from actually telling their story reactively because they're worried that it has to go through a certain person or it should be a certain person but um right. yeah sometimes the the people as you said yourself the the people that can tell your story best aren't necessarily always the most senior people in the company. And uh, yeah, yeah I, think, well, I just think that's a really interesting thing to reflect on. 
And one of the, one of the more surprising things we find is that sometimes it's the folks who are on social media who tend to have a really good grasp of the voice because often more so than, than some other departments, they are responding to the most novel situations uh, in any given day, you know, where customer service likely gets the same subset of, you know, 20 to a hundred frequently asked questions, uh, social, I mean, they're having people throw gifts and, and memes and they're responding to news in real time and they're getting all kinds of silly questions and they're spelled in all different ways. Right. So the brand really, uh, you know, the, the folks who are managing the brand on social, they've probably got sort of an internal sense of this is how we adapt to different types of language or, you know, different levels of profile for example, right? You know, at what point do we stop responding, right? They, they generally have had to internalize and adapt to that voice. So we find that sometimes it's the folks managing social on the front lines who have a really good sense of how the brand might react, how the brand voice might come to life in novel situations. So sometimes they, they often are, are the first to weigh in and, and have really good ideas on, on how that can play out. Hmm. And, and you touched on social media there, and that's something that I wanted to get into uh, in terms of mediums and storytelling through different mediums, uh, which in, in your book you refer to as formats. Um, yeah. So, as, And what I'm curious about, uh, it's kind of a loaded question here. So in your experience in terms of how storytelling might have changed, can you speak on the trends that you've seen in storytelling changing? And then maybe about some of the mediums and possibly how businesses might struggle in emerging mediums and how they should approach those. So start, yeah. maybe if you could start off with the trends in storytelling and how that's evolved for you. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I look back at some of the early pieces of content I made with brands that we were, man, were we proud of those things. And I look at them now and I'm like, wow, that would not even pass muster in today's, you know, expectations from an audience. So yeah, there's definitely been an evolution. So I think when, you know, and, and content marketing, of course, you know, communicating with your audience through content is not even close to new. We've been doing this for a hundred plus years. Um, there's, you know, examples going back that far and then some, um, but the, the sort of strategic, uh, activities around it has, has certainly changed and the mediums especially have changed. So one of the first things we saw obviously was as things went digital, it really opened up a lot of opportunities for us to explore new formats. So in a world where we initially were stuck primarily with print or broadcast. We were focused really on video ad spots and then a bit more creativity on the print side. You know, people were doing uh, advertorials and a little bit of print storytelling, but yeah, did opening up to digital gave us a lot of opportunity to combine and mix and match formats in new ways. So the first wave we saw was people were really into infographics. Um, and so a lot of brands were wanting to create these, these very visual, you know, sort of uh, skyscraper shaped, uh, giant tall rectangles with all kinds of data on them, uh, just because those tools were available and we could socially share them now. So we saw a lot of that. And then the next wave was sort of video. Uh, so every brand wanted to do video and it was mostly live action video, you know, so filming and talking head style videos. Uh, it progressed a bit where we saw uh, a rise of, you know, more animated videos. You probably remember the wave of uh, whiteboard videos, which were all the rage for a little while there, you know, a hand going onto a whiteboard and sort of drawing out over a narrated voice. So we, we've definitely seen sort of those trends in video. And then more recently, of course, we had 
uh, we had the pop of podcasting, right? So podcasting has grown tremendously over the last couple of years. And there's been a lot of brand appetite for audio content. And then most recently, I think live video has sort of captured our attention as a completely new medium that every brand wants to explore what level, you know, live video might, might be able to help them connect with their audience. So it's definitely been, uh, I think the trends have been very format driven. Um, but I think outside of the formats, there's also been a trend toward longer form storytelling, which I know sounds like the opposite of, of what we hear, right? We hear about how short our attention spans are and how we need to make things shorter and shorter. Um, but I think the, the, the way we've all embraced binge watching, for example, uh, and are willing to watch the same show for, you know, six hours, eight hours, 14 hours is a really good signal that when content is compelling, we are willing to invest a significant amount of time in it. So that just means the brands have to try a little bit harder to make something that people are going to be ready and prepared and willing to spend more time with. So it's definitely given us more responsibility to raise the bar and create content that that's worth people's time investment. Mm, that's a really interesting way to look at storytelling over time and just content over time, actually. Uh, as I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about it, you know, right now, um, I'm just, let's take an example, like a Netflix show. Let's, let's say you're fully invested in a Netflix show. Um, and, you watch all four seasons and you just can't wait for the next one. You, you become, I feel like over time you're more immersed in the story now. So what you'll do is you'll go away between seasons and maybe you'll research the episodes, the actors, you'll yep. buy merch, you'll listen to podcasts about the episodes. And maybe 20, 30 years ago, you know, that episode would come on TV once every week and then it was done and you're on to the next episode. So there's almost like a need to adapt content or adapt storytelling for that it's almost like once someone is someone is a customer or someone is engaged with you it's like that post engagement content or post engagement storytelling there's a greater depth to it a greater yeah um maybe advocacy Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you think of something like Game of Thrones, for example. Mm. I mean, the the level of fandom around that, the the depths that people are willing to go between seasons and and talk about the different storylines. I mean, that was sort of an unprecedented level, uh, you know, level of engagement. I think from a from a series perspective. Mm. But one of the things that we've also seen and is you know how quickly did that drop off the map? All of the content stopped as soon as the final series launched. That was pretty much it, right? There was nothing. Uh, they didn't continue to create content that engaged the audience and kept it going. And so it's really dropped out of the conversation. You know, it, it was kind of a, a shocking rise and fall. So you make a really good point about, are we doing the same thing to our audience when they engage with us over email or customer service or, or make a purchase from us? Is that it? Do we drop off the earth or do we give them opportunities to continue to engage, to remember us, to continue to learn more about the, you know, the engagement they've had with us? I think there's a lot of opportunity to keep that relationship going and, and don't just let that be uh, the end of the interaction. Mm. Yeah, you used the phrase long form content, which I understood in context of what you were talking about. But I guess I guess the phrase that I'm thinking of when I think of this is it's like the expansion uh, it's a, it's like a content expansion into all these different forms and mediums beyond your original message or your your original product or service. That's a that's a really interesting way to look at it. Uh, actually, on on that note, can you maybe speak on some of your favorite storytellers and the people that produce content that you think 
is particularly engaging? And that could be marketing or just brands in general. Yeah. So I, I tend to go toward individuals because I think it's, it's great to learn from people who are, you know, doing innovative things. So, uh, for anyone who wants to learn about email marketing or just marketing in general, you want to sign up for, uh, the newsletter Total Anarchy from Anne Handley, uh, who's associated with marketing profs. Uh, her newsletter is honestly, there's very few emails we, we all look forward to having in our inbox, but her weekly newsletter is really a masterclass in how to create community around an email newsletter. So Total Anarchy from Anne Hanley. I think we all need to read the book, Exactly What to Say by Phil M. Jones. That's a book that's going to teach you how to be really intentional with the language that you're using to create the business and, and marketing outcomes that you're hoping for. So that's a, a great, again, masterclass in, a, in a, a small package to really learn how to masterfully make word choices that are going to create the effects you want. And then there's a guy named Michael uh, Matthew Kobach that is on Twitter. Uh, let me see if I could look up his handle for you here. Uh, he's doing some really innovative stuff with Twitter in terms of the way tweets are formatted, uh, the cadence in which he's sharing tweets. He's just done a really good job of creating a community and, and getting people, you know, excited about different ways they can they can use Twitter to grow community. So uh, his handle is. M K O B A C H. So it's Matthew Kobach. Um, and you know, he's just got a, a really great inspirational feed in terms of, you know, if you're, if you're looking for an account to dissect, that's going to give you ideas for how you might bring uh, your brand voice to life on Twitter. That's a good one to, to see what you can learn from. Excellent. I'll link to all those in the show notes and uh, I'll give your uh, book a plug as well, because uh, it's, um, it will also help people to, uh, I've been looking at this two ways. It will help businesses um, help surface their, their stories, but the 10 by 10 matrix, which is something that you outline in the book is something where I think that individuals can reflect on. I, I always see people struggle with their own stories and how to find the best um, you refer to it as format, how to refer to the best format or medium in which to express their voice or their creativity yeah. or their interest. And I actually think you can take that 10 by 10 matrix and apply it to your own interests or your own creativity uh, and self-investment. Uh, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. So I'm going to recommend that and uh, link to that in the show notes as well. Before we close out though, um, do you want li uh, to let our listeners know where they can find you as well? For sure. Yeah. If you're, if you're interested in learning more about me, you could find me across social, social media as Melanie Diesel. Last name is D E Z I E L. So you'll be able to find me and I'm sure we'll share some notes in the, uh, in the show notes as well, the links for that. Um, but yeah, you'll find me wherever you look for me. Our website, if you want to learn more about the work that we do with individuals and brands to help them tell better stories, our website is storyfuel.co. So that's storyfuel.co. You'll learn more about the book there, our masterminds, coaching, trainings, and workshops. Everything is there. And uh, you'll also find more contact information there. So if you head to storyfuel.co and you missed any of the previous links, you'll find a contact page with the social links and everything else you might need. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, I wish you all the best for your rest of the day and uh, thank you for helping continue to surface people's stories. And thank you for letting me come join you and share mine. <laughs> no problem. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 